From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. The Lord foils the plans of the nations, but the plans of the Lord stand firm, the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. The prophetic purpose is to uncover something of these purposes of God that he has for this land that stand firm throughout all generations. And that's just um, something that I would like to unpack a little bit. So I want us um, to just think a, bit, a little bit about this area of covenant for a minute because we stand under covenants. All of us stand under the, the new covenant. There are covenants that also this country stands under. We stand under what I would call the Edenic covenant, the covenant made by God in Eden. We stand as a nation under the Noahic covenant, the covenant that was made to Noah, the promise to creation and, 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 and the promise to the animals. We stand under the covenant of, 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 of the new covenant, as I said before. And these, these are some of the generic uh, covenants that we have. There are other covenants that God has made with the, nations of, with the nation of Israel. There are other covenants that, he, that have come to other nations. And the thing is that's so important for us to understand these things because these are the things that we actually, this is the place we stand. We can only stand in the surety of the promise. We can only stand in the surety of the commitment of God to us. When we understand these commitments, when you understand the commitment to you as an individual of God, when you understand the commitments of God to your family, when you understand the commitments of God uh, to your city, and when you understand the, co the commitments of God to your nation, then you can stand on those things and you stand and you stand and you stand. And as you, we will see, we will remind God of those things. Steve, can you move on? Sorry. Um, what I wanted to do is to just quickly use this, this psalm, Psalm 85. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, a psalm that I've actually, I'm calling it a wieter. And one of the things I want us to remind us about the psalms is that they are like poetry. And they are a song. And they're songs for the land. And so often, of course, these pieces of scripture, they, they are very flat very black and white and they just sit there and so it deserves to be sung we're not going to do it tonight but i'm i'm doing that for you just to so that um that you could in some way get a sense of this thing what it is it's a song that is picked up uh and sung in the temple it's sung in the in the in the congregation of god's people in israel and of course one of the things that god wants us to do is to have our own wayata our own songs from this land and the songs of this land will talk about the things that God has promised the things that God is doing and the things that God wants to do in this land so these this Israel is like a it's like a uh, it's like a type it's a type of the nation so this song this wire to this the song that the people of Israel sing in the temple is based upon the covenant that that they have received so the whole structure of the psalm is in a sense standing on the solid ground that at one time god has promised to them well on more than one occasion to abraham and to moses and and and, and in different places to those guys he's made several promises to them and and god has done some things for israel on the basis of those promises so it's actually divided into into three and a bit parts so i'm going to quickly go through it and just to um to help us get a feeling of of a song for our own land and a structure for our own land so the first part of it uh as the singer you could you can imagine this you can imagine cindy she's singing this out she's standing she's singing in the temple and says lord you showed favor to your land you restored the fortunes of jacob you forgave the iniquity of your people and you covered all their sins you set aside all your wrath and turn from your fierce anger. You see, we could make a song about that, uh, about when the blood of Jesus was talked about in this land and that, that all the iniquity of the forefathers of the Tipuna had the possibility of being forgiven on the basis of, of Jesus' promises. So this is something that could be, 
that was that was something that actually happened this would be some of the songs that in fact that would have been being sung by early maori as as they received um the 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 great promise thanks steve so he goes so he he, he says god uh, you have done these wonderful things for us. You have rescued us. You, ha you, 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 have, you have cleansed us from sin. You have purged us. And then he goes and says in a prayer, in a kind of, in a, 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 a wire of intercession, he says, restore us again, God. So we stand in this place and we're singing a song over these days. We have been hearing through Keith and we've heard over the other years the way that God has made a visitations upon this land and the messages of healing and the messages of restoration and, 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 and people have been brought out of darkness and, and all kinds of things have happened. But we find ourselves now in another situation where we move into this other stanza. We move into the song of crying out to God. So God is all over the earth forming this extraordinary prayer movement, this extraordinary combination of worship and prayer as people all over the place are hearing the call of the Spirit to say, the way to the Father is to call unto me, is to cry unto me, is to dance before me, is to stand day and night and remind me of my covenant promises and remind me of the things that I've done and ask me for what do you want? What is it that we want in this land? So we say, restore us again, God our Savior. Put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry forever, with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So he out goes the prayer and the song. He cries out. He cries out. And he says, I will listen. And then I will listen. And then I will listen and I will incline an ear. What is it, Lord? Ma, 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 ye, mai. What is it, Lord? We call on your name. We call on your name for this, for this land. We call on your name for this people. So we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we listen, and we incline an ear. And in this instance, the prophetic hearing of the singers, of the, of the, of the, of the composer, hears this response. <laughs> this is the response, which having listened and heard either by just reading the Torah or by prophetic sort of inclination of the voice of the Spirit, he promises peace or he covenants shalom or peace to his people. This is a response to the cry. This is the encouragement that comes forth. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. This is talking about salvation. What does salvation look like? We cry out for salvation, and we understood it, of course, when the person yields their, their soul to the Lord, and they become saved, that we call it, they come born again. But what about a land? What about a people? This is what it looks like. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. Why does his salvation come in the fullness of his salvation? Why does this shalom come? Why does this every blessing of God come that his glory may dwell in the land? That's what it, his glory is a demonstration of the saving grace and the saving power and the changing power of God demonstrated through you. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. 
the Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the ways for his steps. So that's the eschatological expectation of that psalmist. That's the, that's the expectation of that psalmist who stood in the counsel of the Lord after inquiring of the Lord. He didn't get, he got a warning. He says, for those that fear him, there's a condition, always a condition, but the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise overwhelms the warning. The promise far exceeds any kind of responsibility that we have. Listen, there's some of us here, there's some of us here that feel that the price is not worth it. Some of you here might think that the promise of salvation requires too great a, a sacrifice. Let me say this, the fruit of the harvest of the bended knee far exceeds anything that you might get in your own strength from resistance to the call of God. It does not compare. And it's the same in this land. It's the same for the promise of this land. I want to reinterpret this psalm. I want to reinterpret this. It's a waiata for Aotearoa to Waipounamu, New Zealand. Broken in these four places. Remember the covenant. Petition the Lord on the basis of the promises. And don't forget Let's listen after the petition. You see, the promise has been made. We can petition on that basis. And then we say, what do we do, Lord? What are you saying to us? Who are you come home? Is one of the things he's saying us. And then the prophetic role is just to speak these things out. What have we heard in the counsel of the Lord? That's what Keith's been doing over these 20 years. Ratna. Ratna. Ratna, 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 and Ratna. 20 long years. And now the place is coming. The bride is ready. Some of the church is ready to hear the message. And the other message that he's talking about is the good news that has gone up and down the land. The good news that has gone up and down the land the good news that has gone up and down the land and that we are expecting to see again. There's a couple of bits in here right now where you're going to have, this is the boring history stuff, where you're going to um, have to take a bit of an uppercut. I'm just going to spend a couple of slides on this bit and I'm sure then we'll probably get into some stuff that's a bit easier. But I, I just feel like we're talking about land. The Bible talks about land all the time. Essentially, land is much more than eretz, which is the Hebrew word for land. It's, it's actually a metaphor for everything. It's a metaphor for all, all of creation. It's a metaphor for all of the cosmos. And as I spoke out the other night before the ceremony, there are some things and some purposes that God has for the land. There are some purposes and ways of activity that God has for his creation. And Cindy came over tonight and she prompted me about a scripture that Anita got today, which was a, a real blessing um, to me. And I, uh, it sort of, I just want to read it out to you because I, I think it's um, a very powerful scripture that help, will help us in some way to get a, 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 some sort of an understanding of these things. Because... This understanding of land and this understanding of purposes and what land represents is it's all about this renewing of our mind and, and, and getting us to see in the way that people like Brad see. And uh, that's not easy. Okay. Um, oh, I'm in Jeremiah, sorry. Uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. Yeah. Okay. In Ezekiel 47, verse um, 13, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. There are, and he's talking to Israel here, and I'll just pick out a couple of things. These are the boundaries of the land that you will divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as the inheritance with two portions for Joseph. God set apart the land for Israel. 
And then he said to them, these are the portions for the various iwi. Right? They have certain rights in that place. They have certain responsibilities in that place. They are the host people in that place. And then he gives a whole lot of instructions about that, and we won't go into it. But at the end of the chapter, it says in verse 21, you are to distribute... Um, this land among yourselves according to the tribes of, of Israel. Sorry, verse 22. You are to allot it, this is another piece, t as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe foreigners reside, there you are to give them their inheritance, declares the Sovereign Lord. This fits again in something of our understanding of the place of Manuheri or Tangata Tiriti or the later settlers of where do these people fit in the sovereign plans of God. And Māori have understood that if we reinterpret some of these things in the light of what's happening in this land, that there is a land space that is given to iwi and, there are, and, and the instruction to God for those that would have an ear to hear, and they have heard it very well over the last couple of hundred years, that as kaitiaki of this land, as the host people of this land, there is an allotment to be given to the aliens who come, to the visitors who come, and, the, and, and they are to offer hospitality in the same way that Israel was to do these things. But you see, these people, Māori understood these things intuitively and prophetically and as a download from the Lord without this they got it because the eternity is written in their hearts so this whole area of land that God sets up are the boundaries which are and all of these areas are different boundaries you have the boundaries of the cosmos you have the boundaries of the nations you have boundaries of the cities you have boundaries of the families you have boundaries of individuals every one of those are like different subgroups that we need to understand these are the, how the Lord has set the boundaries of those places what are the things that the Lord is saying to those places he sees them all in separate ways. You see, he sees the whole cosmos as one thing. He sees the earth as one thing. He sees a nation as one thing. He sees a, a, a territory as one thing. He sees a city as one thing. And he sees a whanau as one thing. And he sees an individual as one thing. There's a sense where all of these things, they all come together. And they all are to be unified under the sun. But there is times when God would speak to them and get them to understand their identity, who they are, and what is God working in? What is the gift that these things actually have to offer to the rest of creation? Noah was a prophet to the entire earth. Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Jonah was a prophet to Nineveh. All of these guys understood the prophetic message that they were to give to the areas that were bounded by God in the, in the, in, when God was talking about specific areas. To Noah, he spoke about the whole earth. To Amos, he spoke about this northern kingdom after it had been split up from Judah, after, after the death of Solomon. And he says, go, go up to that territory, that area that is now has a kind of a sovereign boundary and speak these things to it. And to Jonah, he called him up and he says, go to that nation down there and speak to that nation. That's a particular nation. There's some things going on there that, that, that I'm not happy with. And I want you to go and tell them to repent. Not to other areas. What are the boundaries of our location? Well, I've already given you some kind of idea. The boundaries of your location are you. The boundaries of your location are your whānau or your family. The boundaries of your location are your extended family. The boundaries of your location are the village where you live. The boundaries of your location are the city where you live. The boundaries of your location is the motu in which you live. The boundaries of your location or the corporate boundary for us is this Aotearoa to Waipanaimu, New Zealand. It's the place that was given to Māori who were sent from the far end of the earth to come here and to seek God and to find God and to discover his purposes for this land.
that is one autonomous boundary in which God looks down from heaven. It's one grouping in the midst of all the nations that God has singled out. And he says, I'm looking at you as, 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 a, as a corporeity, if you understand what I mean by that. And you have certain rights before me and you have certain responsibilities in relation to all the to other nations and in relation to other people groups. And the prophets need to hear what is it that the Lord is speaking to this bounded Motu Islands. Okay. Now we have been concerned about this boundary, this bounded area that has an identity of its own, which has various names. What is the condition before God of this place? There are lots of levels on which you could answer that question, and I'm just beginning, to, I'm just going to, to pick out a particular area. I'm not wanting to stand here tonight and say this is the whole counsel of the Lord for this thing. I tell you, there are, there are so, so many things. And I just, you know, this is just one particular stream. And I believe that we're just, we're, we're just representing one particular area of, of one kopapa, as they call it, or one burden of the Lord. Some weeks ago, or months ago, Tempest Fugit, as they say, or time flies. And <coughs> Jeannie heard the land. In fact, she heard it twice. And she came to me and she said, I, I heard the land. And I've come to expect some of these things from her. Um, I said, <laughs> what did it say? <laughs> And she said it to me, it was like a karanga. I've called it here. She said, it, but it had a lament. That's what she called it. Like a, I call it a, a waiata tangi or a waiata pauri or more tia The land was crying out. Paul uses a similar language. All creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. What does that mean? And I'm, Keith, I just appreciated the way that sometimes you said, I don't know. I don't know what this means or, you know, really what this happened. I, 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 you know, this stuff, I'm an unwilling sort of participant in it, really. Um, been dragged into it by a strange bunch of people and married to a, a wife who sees things differently than I do. But I trust her in this. And I've been very grateful for it. So, we talked about this, and this is our interpretation of, uh, of what this land that we're living on, what is it crying out about? I actually heard, heard the land in a figurative sense when I was in North America uh, two years ago, actually. I see it on a, we saw it on an individual and a corporate level, and it had to do with the clash of cultures. And Jeannie is, as I mentioned before, is she's from another culture than I, than I am, and we won't go into any detail, but sometimes we have cultural clash. Her and I have a cultural clash. She has a cultural clash with my family. She has cultural clash with other um, uh, more European people. She is from Lebanese and uh, from American Indian kind of areas there and leans very strongly to that side of her family. Uh, the other thing was, we, as I understood it, was the land was crying out for the cultural clash that was in the land per se. I think there's an ecological interpretation to that as well, James, but this is on the level that, that I think that we were on, that there's a, there is a cry in the land and uh, I felt, as I was just preparing for this tonight, that perhaps that this is the same cry that talks about the huya uh, and the chicken. So it's a crying out for restoration. It's a crying out for healing. It's a crying out for reconciliation. The land, the land, the land, which represents all of creation. You see, the land speaks. 
the land speaks of the human condition and without doing a bible studying on it tonight you'll go through it's either land is famine the land is a harvest or, or the land is full of locusts the land is full of plague all of this has nothing to do with the land but the condition of the people everything is about us as we have been given the stewardship and the dominion over this land so the land itself in its physical sense will reflect our human condition and it has a life Three things that I think in terms of this kaupapa that we're dealing out that I think cry out for attention and that's one is the physical area of the land and the dispossession of the land for Māori. The second one is the loss of language. <coughs> the second one is for the loss of tikanga. And I see that the whole return of the huia is actually to do with the restoration of at least these three things. The restoration of land, mana whenua the restoration of te reo Māori and the restoration of some tino rangateratanga in the area of tikanga, of the ways in which this land is actually and governed, etc. <coughs> Let me just remind you, I'm going to deal tonight with the land loss and I'm just, now I'm, I'm, I'm coming into the closing kind of part. What I'm wanting to do, friends, is somehow to do something with this anointing that we have. I'm wanting to give some examples of how we can move from the temple <laughs> into the land itself and begin to respond to the cry of the land. I've shown you these slides before, but some of you won't have seen them. They are, for me, the most striking representation of the whole loss of land that Māori suffered uh, in the 19th and 20th century. So the first map here shows uh, this land or New Zealand in 1860. The black covering is really the land that is under Māori control. The second map is from 1890 and the white bits represent the land of course that they have lost control of and the black bits represent that which they have control of still. 1910 is the land that is under Māori control and the bottom one is 1839, the black, rest, the black is talking about how much land was under Māori control in, 18, and sorry, in 1939, 100 years after the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi, which committed itself and covenanted itself by the signatories that we, the Crown, would protect all of their whenua, all of their land, 100 years later, that was the condition of the land ownership. Next one, sorry, one more to go on this, and this is the South Island uh, from 1864. Well, it was a dead duck by 1864. It was all, just all over Bartha shouting. This journey of the land has preoccupied me for the last probably 10 years, and it's in Tauranga where I live. We're still involved. We're involved now in, in, in reconciliation issues and working over the, the church's... Um, responsibilities and land loss etc and so that's it's been for me it's you know one of the kind of prisms through which I see the 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 work that God wants to do uh, in terms of bringing the huia home this is my my practical kind of outworking of my involvement in 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 seeing the huia if the huia are the purposes of God if the purposes of God are the shalom the justice the restoration then this is some of the places where at least I personally have you know feel to get my hands hands dirty I'm going to take you on a little journey now. We're coming down from the cosmos <laughs> to the, the nations to looking at some of the issues within this, within this, uh, these motu. And I want to just bring you to a little wee area uh, on the bottom of the North Island because it's, I want to use this as an example of something that's happened which I think is a demonstration of the grace of God uh, in our country. This area here is called um, Te Whanganui Atara Me'one Takiwa which the Te Whanganui Atara is the, is, a, is the name for Wellington and Mount uh, Onetakiwa um, is the districts around it. And uh, you can see it basically, it's, it's just this little bit on the bottom of the, of the North Island. So it's called, it's called the Port Nicholson area in, in, um, in English parlance. And um, really what this talks about here is I think about uh, 120,000 acres that was... Um, you can actually go into the next slide and I think that'll explain it. 
this um, area talks about a, about 120,000 acres of, of, of land that was sold uh, and taken illegally uh, by the New Zealand company, which was the New Zealand company was one of the, the of one of the major land kind of grab mechanisms uh, in the in the early uh, 19th century, and so. What, hap what has happened recently is just in the last year, the Waitangi Tribunal, ha which is the tribunal that has been set up by law to look at the issues of the land, decided and made a declaration that, the, um, that this whole loss of land, this uh, 120,000 um, acres, was uh, a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi. So they made their declaration, and that's what the role of the Treaty of Waitangi that was um, established in 1975 uh, by the Crown to look at um, grievances. And later in, 18, in, I think, 83, 82, they, it was able to go back to 1840 to look at all the, the issues of the land. So this, this group of, of, of esteemed um, uh, people, historians, judges, etc., said that this particular thing was a, a grievance that needed uh, to be addressed. So the injustice was acknowledged by the, by the Waitangi Tribunal. The Waitangi Tribunal, what's that got to do with anything? The, as I said, the, the Waitangi Tribunal was established by the, by the Crown in 1975. On why did they set up this, nine, this tribunal? Where did it get its name from? It gets its name from the Treaty of Waitangi. In my mihi, I said, ko waitangi te kawanata. I have over the latter months began to use that as part of my mihi, and I, for me, it's like that's my taranga waiwai. The Treaty of Waitangi is a covenant, that declaration says, and it's, that's the place where I, as a Pākehā, I stand. It's the place where... I believe I have a right to stand. It's the place that has been given to me through the negotiation of the Treaty of Waitangi between the chiefs, the rangatira, and the crown. And when, I'm not going to go into a long dialogue tonight about the treaty, but I want to bring to mind this whole area of covenant and the relationship between covenant and blessing on the land and say to us that as all the other covenants were, the Edenic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Sinai covenant, the Davidic, sorry, the new covenant, they are all the protocols that God has set in place as a means of guaranteeing and establishing his blessing upon his people. So this is my interpretation I'm proposing, and it's all out there for discussion, and, and it is being discussed, and it's all da-da-da-da-da. You've got to all work it out in your own heart. But I'm saying that the covenant that was the Treaty of Waitangi was a grace in the land. It was, grace literally means a gift in the land. I've called it a means of grace. What, 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 is a means, what do I mean by a means of grace? I, it's simply this, that God has given this covenant as something that would enable us to live in a land that is reconciled. It live, it's, it's something that, it's like, it's a, it's a protocol arrangement that allows people to live together in some sort of understandable terms. So it doesn't just come out of the ether. God just doesn't expect us to, to live together without some kind of societal arrangement. Oh, it's not on the level of the new covenant. It may not be on the level of Noah covenant, but every people has covenants. The marriage covenant is just another example of a structure it's another means of grace that God has given to two people to bring them together in a union that they might know that they are bound together they are that's the reason for for the marriage covenant 
that it brings the security of a man and a woman coming together that even if they wake up the next morning and feel grumpy to one another, they ain't just going to go next door and find another partner because, and it only works because ultimately if the fear of God is upon you. Because that's the only thing that, that actually undergirds a covenant. Because behind the covenant is the awesome presence of a living God who blesses, sustains, and shall I say frowns upon those who break covenant. We actually do it every day, but God is merciful. He's quick to forgive. So if you suddenly thought, oh, I've broken a covenant, the wonderful thing about God is his mercy is new every morning. So he's extending all the time. All of us are in constant need of this renewal of forgiveness and, 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 and gift of mercy for God. There's not one of us that can stand apart from this grace of God on a daily basis. I see it here that Waitangi is a grace of blessing. And that its obedience to the spirit of the treaty will facilitate fruitfulness in the land. That's why I call it a grace of blessing. So it's a means of grace in terms of the original gift of God. And it's a grace of blessing for those who are obedient. In the same way that on Israel, that when the covenants were broken, there were repercussions. And the land suffered. And the land cried out. And I'm saying it's the same for this land. That when the land, when the covenant is broken, the land suffers and the land cries out, representing everything. I'm about to show you two video clips and I think it's about the, I'm coming near to the end. This, just before it starts, all you have to do is to, um, is to, is to click on the, on, on, the, on the screen. This is an, going back to the um, breach of the Treaty of Waitangi at the, uh, Port Nicholson or, or Whanganui Atara. This is the crown coming together with the Taranaki iwi and apologizing because they acknowledged that they broke the covenant. No, not that one. Go back one. <laughs> <laughs> no? oh. Do you want me to do it? Rolanga Tirama or Taranaki Fanui, Tini Atu Miti Motika Wanatanga, Yoro Hui Hui, Tape Tutura. I'm here to apologize on behalf of. And now it is finished. Can you go to the next one? I guess you picked up what the thing was. There's never been a settlement before whereby the aggrieved have pronounced forgiveness. I know some of this is a little hard work on a night time, but I, I want to... We've had extraordinary blessings. We've had extraordinary anointings and healings, and, and I am concerned that some of us, that we go from here with some sense of calling on the ways that he wants us to get our hands dirty in the work. That we all are somehow able to translate the feelings that we've been having in this arena into this land. Some of you may be called to be Levites, which means you operate in the temple or you operate in the church. But most of you will be called to be those that live and spread the kingdom of God in the places where you stand and work and live throughout this place. And I'm wanting you to have a vision that God is inextricably committed and linked to this warp and whoop and fiber of this place and that everything that you do is a kingdom building exercise or a kingdom destroying exercise every single one of us has been called as a priest as a kingdom of priests to be involved in some kind of work 
that is reflecting something of the nature of the very plans and purposes of God himself. Can I just finish off by bringing, this is an outstanding, extraordinary thing that has happened in our nation. It didn't happen by chance. It hasn't just happened in a vacuum and it hasn't been put forward by the Dawkins of this world. Let me just do a very, very simplistic kind of trail of this thing. What are the streams of, of forgiveness and reconciliation that are in this land and where have they come from? This is my simplistic overview. They came via the kingdom of God that has been mediated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Make all nations followers of me in every form. The major, shall we say, kind of um, V-drink that was given to that thing in terms of our little part of the world was the evangelical revival in the 18th century in which under Whitfield and Wesley and those guys who transformed the nature of understanding of, of, uh, of uh, individual piety and Holy Spirit presence and, and work in society. And, and that was outworked, as we see in the, in the English parliamentary system, the legal system, and then the founding of the mission station or the mission agencies, particularly the church mission society that came to this land with the message in 1814, as Keith has been telling us, carrying all of that DNA of Wilberforce and humanitarian concern and the need to get right with a God. But the important thing about the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the CMS were the ones that mediated the Treaty of Waitangi in 1840, as Keith has so well explained, was all part of the kind of the stuff that filtered down out of the kind of parliamentary and legal system that was already in place in, in England. And then it connected in this local story with something quite extraordinary with the, with the, with the couple of Tafiti and Tohu of Parihaka who were born and, sorry, who were raised within a missionary context and who preached and who uh, preached this glory to God, peace on earth and goodwill to all men and who demonstrated an, a non-violent response to the incursions of the settlers in the land. This is the Taranaki people. So the gospel that came all the way in terms of its, of its, of its from England met these, uh, these rangatera who had already understood something of the, of the spiritual nature of reality, put together something of the biblical understandings of Jesus in the Old Testament, just like Radna, in a very, in some ways, distorted way in many ways, but in a, a beautiful way in others. And then the New Zealand Crown, the other partner, who are influenced by issues of justice and residual understandings of fairness and equalities, and albeit 160 years later or, 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 whatever, or, or whatever. So that's the mega view. I think this is the second to last slide. The mega view. Come down again, we're looking at this, this forgiveness thing. Treaty of Waitangi was made. That whole thing of key, it all came out of the Treaty of Waitangi. There would be no mechanism in such a way for key to represent the crown and stand in the place on the institution of power and apologize. It was all based upon the covenant that had been signed in 1840. On the basis of that, of that covenant, we have done wrong, he said. Kaupapa of Tafiti and Tohu surrounded this Taranaki iwi in a way that no other tribe has. This kind of love of uh, biblical truth, of non-violent action, of the kingdom is of a whole nother way. So it infiltrated the Taranaki people so that already in their DNA was another way of actually dealing with it. And I think, of course, the key player is Sir Paul Reeves, who reminds me of Bishop Tutu in the, in the whole um, South African reconciliation movement, who was a representative, and I've listed all the, all the tribes there. This is, this is the, the biblical legacy that actually was all part of this working 
This is the who you're coming home. Listen, the who you're coming home is not just, it's not just this. The who you're coming home, this is the, this is the, the intercession and this is the listening and this is the celebration but it has to have some sort of a practical outworking in the lives of men and women who are in their own lives working for the of this issues of justice and societal reconciliation and and child abuse and 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 and, hung, and things for truth and all of these things that's this is this now when we get off the island this is what i'm praying for the empowering of the spirit that whatever way that you can represent the truth in this land, calling out for the, for the truth to arise in this, in this land. Uh, I think I'll leave these. This is Tafiti and Tohu. Oh, let me... Okay, just to say this, a couple of my heroes. I love his bowler hat. These guys understood non-retaliation I wanted to know and I asked Sir Paul Reeves this question I was at a thing with him about two months ago and I'll come to that in a second I wanted to know where because when Sir Paul Reeves stood and, 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 and he made a public address recently he acknowledged Tafiti and he acknowledged Tohu and he said I stand in the line of these guys you know etc 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 and I wanted to know did these guys have the basis of forgiveness so I wrote to a friend of mine who was uh, kind of like a, I guess he's a, an activist, Komatu at Parihaka, one of the guys really who's in many ways is one of the staunch um, guys who are raising up the Parihaka vision that still needs an injection of the Jesus Christ and the Spirit. But anyway, um, I said, are the, were these guys the carriers of forgiveness? And I'll, can you just go to the next one? And this is his letter back to me. He says, Kia ora Alastair. I'm not aware of any specific mention by Tafiti or Tohu of forgiveness. If anything, they offered strong doubts about the government and settlers having any dispensation, dispensation towards reconciliation, but rather being hell-bent on grabbing everything and permanently enslaving us. Their statements are blunt reminder about injustice, greed, jealousy, hatred and envy, put in such a way as to always remind the audience from then until now of the sins committed and the mistakes made but no mention of forgiveness. This is from a historian's point of view. Maybe I'm trying to cross the T's and dot the I's too much here, but my sense is that Tafiti and Tohu made the stand against injustice in the nature of and the understandings of, of, of essentially Old Testament biblical um, conceptions of justice. But it was really Sir Paul Reeves and his influence who, is f who has a much deeper understanding of the Christian nature of forgiveness who actually moved the tribe from not only non-violent retaliation and a recognition of the, of, the, um, of the injustice but actually that acknowledgement of forgiveness. But let me say this, it would never have happened. Sir Paul Reeves would never have been able to do it without the foundation that Tufiti and Tohu have actually inculcated into that kaupapa that surrounds the mountain in Taranaki. You've done very well. You've done very well. So, I was at a, at a hui recently, and I won't mention any names because some of you know who I'm going to talk about. And we were talking about where does all this stuff lead to? This was a this was a church leader, a prominent church leader. And I guess this guy had got tired of all this talk of reconciliation and stuff, and, and he'd been involved in it in the 80s and said, you know, we did it then, and you know, what's the story? It's is it really producing anything? I thought it was a good question. And I just. I just shot a quick prayer. I said, God, this guy's got a point. What's the story here? And it was like I was asking in my heart, what is my prophetic imagining for this land? What is my expectation for this land? 
And I felt the Lord say into my heart, a forgiven and reconciled land. And it was the first time that I'd actually thought about the whole concept of forgiveness as, a, as, a, as a, like a cloak covering the land. And I went home and I came across these videos, this, this news, in the same week that I'd actually had that understanding. So I felt that the Lord was challenging me and therefore challenging us to lift our game, to lift our vision, to lift our expectation, and to say this. If God has promised to bless Israel on the basis of his covenants, surely God would bless this nation on the basis of his covenants if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray then will I hear from heaven and I shall heal their land I don't know about the Lord's return I don't know about the time frame I know that for 2,000 years people have been wrong, so pe that tells me something. There is something that God has put in my heart to put my face like a flint, to have an expectation that the people of God can be an agent of change if they are willing to listen and let themselves be changed and come outside of their comfort zones, come outside of the places and the tracks and the tracks that they've been on and understand some of this new stuff that has actually been coming, this new way of seeing, this, this extra church, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And there, as I repeat and as I'm closing on this, there is not one iota of the spheres of reality of creation that is outside of that expectation of redemption reconciliation and whatever else you want to put on it a healed land father in heaven your name is holy we bless you we worship you and we say let your kingdom come in these mortu. Let your children be delivered from violence. Let your blood flow and deliver us from hatred and from envy and from jealousies and from bipartisanships. Let us understand the po that you've put into the ground from the very beginning and the formation of our nations and the commitments that were made. Just as one single little thing that we can perhaps get right and i ask these things tonight in jesus name amen